Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Francis Valentine, founder of the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab in Auckland, New Zealand, on the topic of digital fluency and how we are reshaping the future of education. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Francis Valentine, a technologist and educator and the founder and CEO of the Mind Lab and the Tech Futures Lab based in Auckland, New Zealand. So welcome, Francis. Hey, Christian. Great to be here. I am excited to jump into this. Uh, this some. Um, Great topics here. I want to find out more about what you're doing and the programs, the multiple programs that you're running. So going through the site, and there's a number of different things that we can jump into, but I want to focus today on the topic of digital fluency. It's something that I've talked about with other guests, uh, and, and especially in uh, underserved parts of the world, like South Africa, I had a great, uh, good friend that, down that part of the world that speaks almost exclusively on that topic and does consulting around that. And then, but specifically to talk about the impacts to education and what are the futures of education. So with that, I'd love for you to give kind of a, a, a longer introduction of who you are and what you're doing. Fantastic. So look, I, uh, first of all, so my core day job is actually running two graduate schools. And so what really throws people is the average age of my students is 42. So, so we are talking about you know, people who are well into their career, they, they're kind of hustling in their career, doing their thing, and then suddenly they wake up one day and go, actually, maybe the things I know have changed, and they're making strategic decisions, and they're having, you know, they've been asked to lead a team, and they're not sure where they're leading them to, because they're hearing new terminology, they're talking about you know, new tools, and collaboration is a good example with all the collaborative tools that are out there, but they might be talking about, you know, even how they use data and um, and they suddenly have this, a, a moment where they realize they've got a long career ahead of them and that potentially it will get cut short if they don't re-inject themselves into some form of learning. And that, that can be, you know, for some people, that means just jumping online and, and doing an online course. For some people, they need to be part of a team. They need to be kind of in a cohort of learners so they can kind of bounce off each other and be motivated. And, and for some of them, it's really a beginning to start again, to start a new career and, and think about, what's changed in the world. And so my career has been really focused on the future of work and, and, and focusing on what do people need to know today so that they can really make good decisions tomorrow. And as adults, we're not very good at that. You know, we, we, we kind of like to stick with what we know and we, we assume that we can keep with that for quite a long time. Well, so, I, have, I have to say you finish your degree. There's a certain sense of just you know, like, well, geez, I, I don't, I don't have to go back to class ever again. No, I mean, it, it's, you know, a couple of things that, that I just thought of as you were describing that is like one, I mean, it doesn't matter what field you're in today. Technology is touching all those aspects, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic where people were working for work that they never thought that they'd be able to do remote or hybrid you know, they were able to do. And a lot of that is because of the technology and just where we are as a society around these different tools. But I think it opened up the possibility for a lot of companies of, hey, there's more that we can do uh, to keep people productive and keep people engaged and keep them, you know, in theory, happier because of uh, uh, being able to better balance, you know, that work-life balance. But so much, we're so reliant on these tools, on this technology. If you are behind in those things, especially, I mean, it's one, if it's fitting with the way that you're working today. It's another thing, if you want to advance your career to try something else or just to move forward in your existing you know, role or company, you have to have some semblance of expertise of, of the tools that are used to, yeah. to work, to collaborate. Yeah, and I think that your point is it is every sector. And a great example is we had a, a, a master's class of Master of Technological Futures start recently. And inside that class, you've got the normal, you know, the people who are coming out of the, the sort of the financial services sectors and those who are the big professional firms and, and logistics. 
But then amongst them, you've got, for example, a funeral director, a musician, you know, who's been on the road for 20 years playing jazz, um, and, and somebody who's in retail. And if you take those three, three people, so a funeral director in lockdowns had to suddenly become a broadcast specialist. You know, they had to be able to collaborate with families remotely. They, you know, we, we here in New Zealand, we're not unable to have funerals at all uh, for a lot, of, a lot of the lockdowns. And so they were fully, apart from a couple of family members, they were really these remote professional events that had to be done through various sort of um, streaming media. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's not just that, that all the other pieces around those collaborations, organization and, and planning and systems, they had to be done as well. So, and of course, some people now recognize that that's another way to extend their business because everybody has family and friends offshore or in other cities who cannot get back for funerals. So that is just one example. But then I go to the musician who has had a great life, you know, gig after gig, travel the world, you know, play the blues, or do the, you know, with the jazz or whatever they might be doing, and and suddenly realizes it's a whole new start because nothing really has uh, stayed the same. And and so when you when you're in an industry like music, where if you're just on the tools of the of the instruments, you're probably a little bit insulated from what's going on. And then suddenly you're coming back and you realize the distribution, how you get, you know, how you get agents, how you perform, how you distribute, how the audience hears you, everything has shifted. And of course, you know, if I use an example of retail, we, we all know, I mean, e-commerce just surged ahead. And, and of course, we, you know, we're now perfecting those sort of last mile deliveries. And, you know, we, we're really thinking about automation and dark warehousing and the data we need to make good decisions and tell our customers what they need to buy next. So wherever I look, I see examples where people have really had that moment where they realize that this, the analog systems and the paper-based systems of the past have just disappeared. It's almost evaporated in two years. And now we're sort of starting again. And that's where you know, many people find themselves. It's like, what next? How do I do this? Well, it, it, and that's why, I mean, it, working in technology, I mean, one of the things that you need to understand working in this sector and software for me, and that's the same in hard, any part of, technology you have to constantly be learning it's just part of the job it doesn't matter what the role is at any level it could be a technical writer a business analyst a project manager a, you know an engineer a coder an architect you know all all the way up to the executive constantly learn otherwise you get left behind because it the technology changes so fast so it's just built into the industry but when you're talking about these other roles like on the musician side i completely understand that former i was in in a band for years and like that side of it but how much i'm a collector uh of a lot i have a lot of vinyl too much vinyl too many cds i have too much vinyl my, as well my, my <laughs> wife was constantly what what are you, you going to get rid of all the cds she's like you can get everything through streaming services i'm like it's backup you know <laughs> in case something happens to i don't know I, I i got rid of all my cds and i took them down and gifted them to a charity shop and they were like i'm really sorry we don't take them nobody buys them yeah and i was like Wow, my CDs are landfill. I mean, it's a terrible idea. The, uh, but although the vinyl has gone way up. Oh no, 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 the vinyl I'm keeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's but but it's the same thing. Well, the, the problem there's sorry that I'll get off this this little soapbox. The problem with getting rid of CDs now is that so many of the of the artists that I collect, my CDs aren't on any of the streaming services. Mm -hmm. So I mean, they they change the catalogs. So if you're really picky, and I there's certain artists that I follow. And I'd say a third of my music, like it's not found anywhere on Spotify, on Google, on Apple, whatever. It's not mm -hmm. available. Uh, and, and so that's the other reason that I justify hanging on to all of that. <laughs> well, I had to say just on that. I, I one stage a number of years ago backed up my favorite CDs onto an iPod, one of the biggest, you know, the biggest of storage you could do at the time. And now, of course, you know, that's that's also become obsolete. You know, there's no oh, more iPods. And I'm thinking, how much longer am I going to play this? You can't Bluetooth it. It's going to be like a little bit of a, uh, you know. So I'm 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 backing, you know, I'm backing up onto a, a basically an obsolete disc already. So mm. <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go. Well, I, I went through that process as well. I was backing up directly to the cloud. So I have um, a couple terabytes of music that are just sitting out in a cloud service. Um, that I've got a lot of other content out there too, but yeah, but it's, it's, but that's something on the, the music space. I mean, that's something that's just changed dramatically. Um, I, I look at those that are heavy in the performing. Cause I, you know, like how do musicians make money how, anymore? It, it's, um, it, it's funny that what happened uh, with 
music and like uh, mp3.com and of course Napster, you know, prior to that and a bunch of the tools and then eBay to, to, to buy and sell is that the way that we consume that, uh, you know, music changed so dramatically. There was a brief moment where I went from, you know, as a collector, you know, purchasing Goldmine magazine and calling Malaysia. I have a famous story around this, an uh, infamous story from my family when I was younger buying a record with three songs for over $200 from Malaysia. I had to call in the middle of the night and find somebody that spoke English to buy this. And it made its way, found its way over to me. Um, it's uh, still in my collection there. Um, but the, it, I would have these rare items. And when eBay launched, I was suddenly able to find, and Napster prior to that, was able to find all these rare mixes and songs that I was not able to find the hard version of. And then eBay, suddenly I could find all these rare items and sell items. Like two years later, after the launch of eBay, everything that I had, I couldn't sell anything. The value dropped dramatically because anything you want, you can go and find. And so mm -hmm. things that I was buy, finding for $50 and selling for $250, suddenly there are dozens of them for $30 and no one is buying. Like yeah, that just, whole argument of abundance it, and scarcity, you know, it happens right. in every field. <laughs> so yeah. you want to be on the right, you want to be on the left side of the agenda of the, of the uh, uh, ledger, I think on that one, scarcity always works. Right. Yeah. But it's, but it's something again, uh, you know, looking at um, career around the technology is that, you know, so much that's changing where you constantly need to go and review and say, does this still fit? Is the, uh, this coming from a marketer, it's the, the product uh, mix. It's the adjusting the four P's of product pricing, placement and promotion and adjusting those, those things based on changing needs of, of people, of users, of the industry changes that are shifting and happening around there. So there's all these different reasons to keep up with that, which I think goes back to where we kind of started talking about that it doesn't matter what industry that you're in, there's a need to focus on, you know, hey, what's changing? What can I learn, which is going to get me to that, that next level? A lot of that is technology driven. Yeah. And look, if you think of collaboration and you know I, I sort of laugh that we'll look back on this period of the last two years of hanging out in in zoom type environments whatever your flavor is you know a little bit like the Muppets show where we're all sitting looking rows of people looking at each other and actually it's not particularly collaborative you know we, we can see each other but there's there's some benefit because we have equal real estate and then I look at the way that people are using the metaverse and you know a fully immersive environment with their avatars and hanging out and doing things and and, and I've fallen down well into that rabbit hole of uh, looking at the metaverse and trying to understand why there's a whole generation of generations Z or Z who are just, you know, really in, in, in kind of delving into it and seeing places like Nike shoes where you can buy your, you know, the, the, the coolest Nike boots for your avatar for three thousand dollars. And, um, and, and then also, also order your McDonald's in the metaverse and have it delivered to your physical house. And, you know, this sort of, you know, you start going, where does collaboration finish? Because now we're starting to step into this place where you have your own identity, you get to choose the people you're with, and, and you don't have to sort of plan schedules and match diaries and things. You can just drop on into a place and collaborate with people, whether you know them or don't know them. And so, and as we start to see that, I think the, the AR, VR and the new types of mixed reality goggles or glasses coming into the market and everybody seems to be playing in that field, the tech, you know, all the tech giants are all sort of honing in on these small startups who are doing interesting glasses. You know, in two years, if we had this conversation, we'd be talking about collaboration, I think, in a much more immersive sense and a lot less around the sort of 2D uh, world that we've just come through, which is screen only. It's interesting. It's I, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the, uh, you know, the 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 complete pure VR experience. When I look at some of the solutions that are out there that are hybrid, uh, that are the AR, the augmented reality solutions, mm -hmm. it's incredible. Like I I I think that's more of the future. That we still have the human components, the interaction, that side of it. But by putting on the glasses and I, it was like envision 
And there are solutions that are out there now. Microsoft has something that they use over in like the manufacturing sector where through the goggles, you're able to look at uh, you know, real world, uh, an engine, for example, and you can have somebody remotely in your view that's on camera, that's walking you through, like your car's broken down on the side of the road. A mechanic can be in there seeing what you see and they can highlight in your real world in that augmented yeah, reality. Nice. It's like, I see right there, there's a leak on that tube right there. That's what you need to replace, you know, as you're on the side of the road. Walking you through that process is just incredible for with the IOT devices, the internet of things that are on a manufacturing facility as a plant manager to walk through. And again, in the augmented reality for it to be able to highlight the path to get to of the malfunctioning part and That's walk you to it and then point out, here's what needs to do. And right there with my, again, they still have like the old, like the the, the digital glove device that's like a mouse in, in open air, but to to go in and, and look through like materials of training or walkthroughs of how to fix and change that out. I mean, that's just an incredible thing. We're not there yet, but it is amazing how fast we're getting there. Well, I think, I kind of think we, we, we really are there because we've moved away from the, you know, I think your point, VR, while it was interesting in its full sense, people don't like being connect, disconnected from the people or the environment. There's a sense of who's around me. Am I, you know, do I look foolish? Do I feel disoriented? You know, people like to still feel connected in the real world. But I think that we now, because of the, you know, the computer processing capacity, the only thing that hasn't happened is we don't have the right, we haven't got the devices yet in the hands of most consumers. Right, right. But it, and the costs you know, are coming it, it, down. Right. Yeah, we need yeah. the iPhone kind of equivalent in eyewear that is readily accessible and people can do that. I mean, and, you know, you, you use example of a mechanic, you know, obviously robo surgery has been around for a long time now where specialist surgeons are, are constantly going in and, and guiding as surgeons who don't know how the procedures work and, and these overlays of AR and actually be able to do that. So, you know, I sort of feel like it's here, but it's in very niche and very kind of expensive areas of, of um, where, where there is a need that the, the, the person zooming in or you know coming in via sort of out from outside uh, is a necessity so health is a great example but once we get it into education and once we get it into mainstream and e-commerce where you can walk around and experience things as a sort of almost like a first person like a, like an inv involved in a game type environment I think it will it's just just around the corner like I don't think it's far away at all well there's a um, trying to remember which Malcolm Gladwell book it was i think it was outliers where he was talking about soccer players and no no uh, marathon runners in sub-saharan uh, africa i don't know if you ever read that and where he talked about that one no but crazy people who do that that running <laughs> but it's but so he basically talked about says why is it that they're so dominant on the world stage and he says it really comes down to well that part of the world and people don't have vehicles and how do they get across long distances they walk or run and so you, you have this larger pool of people to develop that expertise to select from the best of the best. If, if everybody, like think about the US or even New Zealand, if everybody in New Zealand played rugby, then you'd be able to, uh, arguably there are people that will never go to the professional level who are have natural skill, maybe even better than the top performing uh, uh, you know, um, athletes right. currently. And so when you, when you broaden the pool and allow that skill development across that, that, that larger pool, you're able to find more and more experts. So part of the argument here is with all these, these capabilities that we can virtually remotely access and collaborate and do that is that we really are um, expanding the pool of potential experts in any subject matter, in every, in any technology. Um, and, and so it, it's, you know, more and more, it's less important to us, again, software company, and a lot of the information worker roles that we hire for, it doesn't matter if they're sitting next to you in the next room or halfway around the world, except for time zones. Mm -hmm. um, but we, I, I often work through those time zones and you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But we, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, here in New Zealand, you know, we're a day ahead of you already. And, you know, our biggest dev team for our organizations in South Africa, which is 12 hour difference. So, 
So one of us is getting up at you know, four or five in the morning or staying on the calls late at night. So and it's part of our, our normal life. You know, right. when you live in a time zone, that's kind of an outlier. You kind of have to conform. So yeah, those, I think we work around that. And I think the other thing that's interesting, which is also a, a sort of a byproduct of COVID is people working remotely, but in other countries. You know, we are currently now having a, a bit of a surge of you know, full-time permanent staff members who are choosing to move to other countries to live and work for us. So mm. they're not changing their job. They're just saying, well, actually, I'd quite like to live in Bali. You know, I'd like to be able to go spend my time there and, you know, I'll keep working for you. Uh, you know, and I think this is the time where we're, we're starting to see how the distribution of staff into different time zones. And we're going to get really good at that, I think, in terms of collaboration tools, again, come come into it so you can pick up where the conversation left off. You're, you're going to sleep, you wake in the morning and the, the conversation's continued. You just have to interject yourself back into the into the time zone. You know, very different weeks ago. A lot of those problems like uh, with the, you know, again, when you're a global company and you have that follow the sun, like for support organizations, like the follow the sun model was something, I mean, uh, 25 years ago for, you know, we, we went and, and uh, intentionally hired staff in other regions around the world so we could have 24 seven support of certain things like that was an investment decision. Now, I, I don't think we have to be that intentional, like we have that, but it just kind of naturally is we find the right people who are the right, you know, technical fit and cultural fit for our team for a role. And they're increasingly they're spread out across those regions. And then you just have to say, well, here's what we need to get done to work as a unit. And that means working shifted hours for some people based on where the core of that work's done. The reality is like my role is global. I'm on late night. I, I, I leave myself open until midnight my time so that I get my Asia Pacific counterparts. And mm -hmm. then I'm usually early morning. What I need is a midday nap. So yeah. and I think wrong with be perfect. <laughs> yeah. the siesta, I think we just need to enshrine that. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, something I, I, I was watching one of the videos about mind lab and a phrase that stood out to me that I really liked was focus on context, not content. Mm. I was wondering if you could talk about that. I mean, because that I, 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 cause I, I interpret that as um, like I was straight A student until I got to college and realized there are topics that I really don't care about. Mm -hmm. Got great grades and those that were around my major that I was passionate about. And I did the minimum in other areas. I just wanted one of those students. Um, but so much of I was, I was, as I got older and finished my degree and then went to business school, so much of it was about hey, this is actually contextual to what I'm doing. How am I applying what I'm learning to my work right now and going? And, and that was part of that, that learning process. Is that kind of what that means? Um, finding work and learning to where you're applying it as you're learning it and that it's more meaningful that way? Yeah, it is. It, there's been a lot of uh, studies done in education, as you can imagine. And because I bring technology with education, you know, we keep on touch with learning theories. And fundamentally, when you're learning things, the best thing you can possibly do is ask the question, what do I need to know? Not what is someone going to tell me I need to know? So if, if I said to you, you know, have you got an interest in the planet of Saturn? And you said, yeah, I'm quite interested in Saturn. I'm interested. The question I should be asking you is, what do you want to know about it? And then, so if you're saying, these are the things I want to know, and then it's like, why do you want to know those? That gives you that context of suddenly, it's not just about what well, it's the size or it has this temperature or whatever it might be. So what we, what we need to do is start thinking about the information we need to do what we want to do. Mm -hmm. If it's not things we need to know, we can figure that out. We can Google it in five seconds and get the things that are not important. But the context gives us the, the foundation to understand how it relates to other things. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing um, business studies and, and you're starting to understand the context, you know, wh why are there four Ps? What do those four Ps really represent? You, know, you, you can learn what they are. You can write the list and memorize it. But actually the context is 
Why are they important? Why is product important? What does product actually do for a business? And so you can get a straight A student coming out saying, well, I know the four Ps because this is what they are. And saying, but why? But so the person who knows the answer to the but why, because they've taken the time to reflect and understand and actually think about how that might influence decisions um, that are need to be made for the business. And they can think about when you know a product life cycle comes to an end and they're like, well, we need a new product. And this is why we need a new product because of, I understand this context that there is a circular process, there are different demographic changes, we've had other influences. And so a lot of education, we people get frustrated and why people don't go back to education is they've been talked at, you know, people have told them what they need to know. Right. And then eventually they glaze over and go, well, I don't just like you said, I'm not interested in this. This is of just no relevance. And I think we have a whole generation now who have, you know, really rightly so are saying, why are you teaching things I can Google? You know, it should be about critical thinking. It should right. be about this idea of reflection. It should be about collaboration so that you're sharing knowledge. And, and so great teachers know how to do that. They've, they've moved away from here is the textbook and we're going to start on page one and we're going to learn the textbook. Mm. And at the end of it, we'll do a test. And, and so when I'm working with adults, a lot of people, when they first say, oh, what do you do? And I say, you know, I run a graduate school. They're like, oh, I'd never go back to study. And they tell you the first thing that they hate, I hate study or I hate exams. And what they really are saying is, I, I really hated to be told what I needed to learn. Um, because that's fundamentally where it comes undone. If you're learning things that you love and you're passionate about, it's easy. It's, you know, it's, it's something that you enjoy. And so context gives that, that ability to go, what does it mean to me? And so, you know, if I was saying you need to learn about quantum mechanics, you're like, yeah, I'm not so interested in quantum mechanics. But if you could find a way that the context was relatable and, and actually it was a necessity that you had a basic understanding of the theory because it was going to be a conversation you need to be participating in. So it's, it, to me, it's just about saying, why am I learning it? And what can I do with this, this information? And if you don't know the answer to those questions, then probably you shouldn't be learning it. Short and simple. Well, it, you know, it's interesting uh, when I, so I actually pursued uh, I, I was accepted into a doctoral program almost 20 years ago. I delayed my placement twice. I changed jobs. I lost my placement. I didn't go and reapply. But one of the things that, uh, so I made certain things that I kind of learned about myself through that process and going through and finding the right program. And there were, you know, picking on a program, one of the problems was that it wasn't exactly what I wanted. It was one that was, um, so I was wanted to, to focus on the informatics of collaboration technology and specifically look at how technology is changing the way that teams work, which is kind of where Collab Talk, the name came from and like this, this whole thing. And I've built kind of a career around this area without going and getting the doctorate. And but I found a school that it was a cross disciplinary kind of a build it, you have to go and and build the program, find the, you know, the, the, within, you know, the sociology within technology fields, like find the, the, the professors that would agree to the plan within that and then build that and submit it and get accepted. So it was a longer process than just going and, Hey, I took my advanced placement tests and here's my work and my school history and apply with my $75 application fee. No, it was much more involved. It took about a year just to find and shape it into what I was looking for. And my thought was always, is like, why is that so hard? Of course, we didn't have 20 years ago, uh, early 2000s, we didn't have any of the online programs that we have. We didn't have, now you have so many mainstream universities that are really looking at, um, while they haven't adjusted their pricing yet, um, looking at offering more flexible options, realizing that, you know, the nature of education and how we serve education up and what uh, for motivated students that want more out of the programs, um, you know, that, that uh, there have to be more choices, more options in building that, that path. I, I have two of my kids are STEM kids. So both hard science degrees. Uh, the other two are more business marketing and struggling to finish their degrees because they're like, 
I'm making great money. I don't see how this does anything, but take my money and my time now and not deliver the value of having that piece of paper around that. And so ha having that discussion with them. And look, I think that piece of paper is, is really becoming less and less important um, for some fields because there is, you know, education has been democratized. You don't need to go to a university to, to become knowledgeable. You could do you know, many, many micro credentials or badging courses and online and, and actually come out with the same knowledge. And in fact, I think going back to this theme of collaboration, I think some of the online uh, institutes who, who, or, or those who have moved online who do it really well, really do use collaboration really well. And I do talk a lot about the difference between cooperation and collaboration. And I think people get these two very confused. You know, the cooperation is just people in the same room kind of agreeing to do things together. Collaboration is, is about saying, what, what do you know, Christian? What do I know? And let's use these two sources of information to, to create new information, things right. we don't know. And so if you do that really well online, you can have a cohort of students who are really saying, okay, we're, we're, you know, we could be anywhere in the world, but we're collaborating because you're bringing your experience and knowledge, I'm bringing mine. And between us, what, are we, what can we take from this? What is the things we can extract and learn about? And so when you're in a program where you don't have a lot of collaboration and it's sort of solo learning, I think there's a lot of frustration with students of all ages where they feel like, well, why am I doing this? I could do this at home. I could do this online. I could do this in my own time. I could do this on YouTube. And then, then the piece of paper becomes really hard to justify because you know, it's got too many constraints around it, either in time or money or relevance. And so you know, the difference of somebody who's doing a software engineering degree, which obviously you really do want them to have a really basic or a really core foundation and knowledge, and you probably want some evidence of a qualification. You, you know, you maybe you don't need that so much if somebody is, is, you know, a great writer and actually that writing degree or the comms degree is probably a little less important. It's, it's the output right. that well, people are looking at. I, I was to say, like, I have a good, good friend who's a very talented photographer and he's working on his master's in photography. Yeah. Uh, I, I am, so I, you know, that's great that he's going and he's learning all these new techniques and all these different things, but ultimately, I started as an industrial design major and where I learned about a lot of the design is like there were some of the most successful people in the field, no degree, because mm. it was their experience, their portfolio uh, of things. And it's, I realized that it's you know, one of my uh, undergrad professors and he, he talked about, he says, you know, uh, the, one of the most important things for a lot of hiring managers, whether it's your first job or you're moving up is having that baseline of a of an undergraduate degree when you have no history to to fall back in you have no portfolio experiences i have now 30 years of work history and product and stories and, and examples of that and i can go and pursue jobs within my field with success somebody that doesn't have that it shows that they uh um focused for four years they pursued that goal and they completed that that one thing so that's what the professor said that was you know early in my career gave that guidance around that and I, I said you know that's but that's great but mm -hmm. I said uh, but I was having paused my undergrad my and and got married and then went back to night school I was very focused on I want my education to help me grow and, and succeed now I want to apply what I'm learning. That was mm. the difference, the change for me. Yeah, and I think that professor's advice at the time was probably relevant. But actually, if you look at across the world now, you know, millennials, the, the top age of a millennial is 40. They've grown up in an era where they understand learning has got many different shapes and forms. So they're less likely to worry about that piece of paper. So the, the you know, and of course, the next generation after that, as they come in, people are going to be, have much more pick and mix types of, examples of their studies and we're seeing it already there's a lot less people doing completions of programs and they're actually starting one degree going to another moving into a job the job market is you know crazy at the moment anybody can get a job because obviously we have a talent shortage globally and so you know there's people are saying well i'm taking time out of my study to take a job because right now there's also inflation and the cost of living is going through the roof so actually working right now makes sense 
those people may never come back into study because they actually start a trajectory of working and they and they earn their stripes and they they, they develop their talent and and actually even myself you know I was incredibly curious a good student but at 17 I decided I needed to to go somewhere so I jumped on a plane on a one-way ticket to London which is from New Zealand is you know 30 hours away in a flight so yep. it's like you know you're flying for more than a day um so 17 this is pre cell phones and, and pre having you know credit cards or internet and I I never actually got to university until I was 40 even though I have had a career in education and technology. So I just immersed myself in companies who were, you know, great companies who, who I just said, tell me everything. I want to learn everything. Yeah. And so I was um, ambitious to learn, but not in a traditional sense. So, you know, fast forward to when I was 40 and I was like, actually, maybe, maybe I'll go and spend some time thinking for a little bit. I continued to work. I was a CEO at the time, but actually I found the process at 40 really cathartic because it was something I wanted to do. It was all about applying it to my career, but it was also carved out time in my life to think when I was really busy the rest of the time. And so I think it's, there isn't a right way or a wrong way. It, you know, that suited me. And, and yet I have children who have got traditional de degrees and mm -hmm. those who have, my kids also have started and have never finished and they've done lots of different things. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, the, we, we, we kind of live in a time where the knowledge comes from multiple sources. I think the key thing is we just keep moving forward that we don't get stuck thinking what we know today is still true you know, in, in five years time because we, we certainly know that we have better information, better research, better science, better technology, um, better ways of capturing it. So we, you know, we live in a state of flux. So our brains have to be ready to continue to keep moving and adapting. However that happens, you know, it's really up to the individual. You know, it's interesting. Just, you just made me think too of the, the, the constantly uh, adjusting again I go back to the marketing mix around that but it's also like one of those core of of you know like agile development is this idea you can't measure something you can't test whether hey am I making progress or not is this something I want to do without trying something so like in software you pilot 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 those things you do small iterations you learn from that and then you adjust and that's a great philosophy for work and education is try things, sample things. It's one of the things that I loved about, you know, the college experience. And I would, I knew I would never be upset if one of my kids had like changed their major three or four times. It's like, hey, whatever the path is to get to the thing that's the right fit and that makes sense for you, then go and pursue that. I still have that, again, with two of my boys uh, that I, I would love for them to go and finish their degrees. Although they're making, they they are, beyond where I was at their same age in mm -hmm. their in their earning capability one's in sales and is just you know how good sales salesmen are salespeople there you know, he's just he's built for that he's just really good at that I I don't think he's ever going to be hungry he's just talented in sales and so having something I'm still gonna kind of you know work on him to like to do something to have that just in case maybe that's just part I of think, yeah, yeah but i think we've got we're going to live you know we all know we're going to live much longer you know yep. obviously medical advances and our and the way we live is you know we we, we we're not hard in our bodies anymore you know we, we're pretty you know compared to our forefathers who worked you know so hard and their, their bodies basically deteriorated and had, didn't have access to great medical care and so it's it's totally feasible that you know we'd live to be 90 100 and we know that Kids born today are, you know, almost definitely will live 90, 100, 110. So you, we're going to have a chance to have multiple careers. And, and right. so your son, who's a great salesman, he, you know, he might get to 45 and go, you know what, I think I'm going to do something different. I might become a painter and be an artist or, you know, or a personal trainer or, <laughs> or I want to study psychology and become a psychologist. And this, I think it's this, this idea. I mean, I was taught growing up that, you know, have get a job for life, get a house and a car, you're good to go and they were the measures of success you know and, and none of my children um would have any bar of that like the idea of a job for life is terrifying you know just this, yeah. you know maybe a job for five years until i get to the then i'll change and go to a different right. job right and even the idea of ownership has shifted you know this idea of a house and a car is it's sort of shifting in terms of is that really do I want to have one house that ties me to one place for, for a long time? Or do I want to have experiences and have access to 
great places to stay and live, but assets will look quite different. And, you know, of course, you know, they're the, they're the generation and I'm seeing it already with my own kids, you know, they're the crypto generation, they're the investing and all sorts, they're, dare yeah. I say it, the NFT generation, you know, they, they, they don't need to hold worth and value in the same way that we said we want four walls and a floor to make sure we can settle down and, and have children. You know, it's, it's just a, such a different, different future for these kids. Well, one, if they're, uh, uh, if, if they're investing in NFTs, and I think that they'll find very quickly, uh, <laughs> I, I think people are going to wake up to that, just like, it, it, that it doesn't make any sense. But I know I'm biased around that. When I look at some of that, uh, you know, hey, I, I did make money off of uh, the uh, Dogecoin. So I'm happy about that. Okay, but, well done. <laughs> uh, I, was able, I was able to kind of see it early and do that and no sell and get away and there's no long-term value and i think nfts will follow the same path but well um, yeah I, I guess we could be the last one last one's kind of standing here going okay we got that wrong because like right now i've had yeah. the same conversation with with people who are really big into nfts and they're like we're buying hard now because you know they're you know, along crypto they're dropping and and value and they'll come back and they just their risk profile around it's different as well you know we're yeah. cautious we, we know we've been taught you know a whole our entire lives steady and slow you know, right. wisely do all these things so when we look at things that look frivolous and unstable and and kind of like highly volatile we're like why would you risk doing that some people love that stuff you know again well, different yeah. people i it, well i just was kind of the same statements that we both kind of made statements about uh, virtual reality and then the, then there's this the side of it you know again younger generation that's used to more digital the reality is that when you put the mat, the, the the visor on, you're in those pure VR environments. The mind adjusts to that very quickly. It's very powerful. I always joke that with all the avatars floating around without legs, you have to pay for the higher price to get the uh, legs attached to your avatars. Um, but they're they're. Uh, you know, it opens up so many other possibilities. People with accessibility issues. Um, still within that virtual world, being able to go up and talk to people as, as avatars get more and more like us, it may soon become very Star Trek-ish where it, it's us, it looks like us, it's an avatar, but looks and is like interacting with a real human in this virtual world. And for us to be able to go and interact with people and you have experiences now um, like I, I went and saw a presentation for a vendor that had a learning solution and it was a, uh, uh, you know, the theater set up for a, at like a university, very steep seating, watching a lecturer standing at the top. And there was a 2d PowerPoint presentation going on. And, and this presenter had pre-recorded the whole thing. So the avatar, the mouth is not moving, just standing up there. The voice is coming out. The PowerPoint is on there. And but people could go and walk down a hallway away from it, and you'd hear the sound get quieter as they moved away, have a conversation with their avatars, and then go back into the presentation. Or when this this was the cool thing about this technology and the fact that it was all done via Steam. So available today, you could buy the module is five dollars to get the, this module. And he then went in and had a 3D model of the human heart and the lecture turned from 2D to 3D. And then people came down out of the stands and were walking over and looking at this 3D giant model of a human heart and interacting with that, having conversations. It was incredibly powerful to go and see that. So while I'm kind of knocking that technology and I'm, I still say augmented reality um, because of its ties to the real world and so many different cases there, it's still powerful stories that of the way that we're interacting and learning is evolving and changing. And to, yeah. so we, do, we can't just be naysayers. It no, may no, not right. be right for us. And I, I'll give you a great example. I was talking recently to a, to a 13 year old and he was trying to convince his mom he needed to buy these new shoes for his avatar. And the $3,000 shoes or? No, no, not that nicer? much. No, no, no. These are like $30, I think. Yeah. And, and, and it was his money. He was going to spend basically his pocket money to buy these shoes. And, and she was saying like, I don't get it. I don't understand, you know. And he said, well, I don't understand you. You sit on Zoom all day, every day at home, and you're still wearing like expensive shoes at home. No one's seeing them. Like, so what's different? I'm in a place where I'm hanging out with my friends. This is my look. This is how I, 
this is this is my style this is reflecting who i am as a person yeah actually this is where they see me most i don't see them on the street i don't hang out in the park where you know we're kind of living in this weird lockdown world and it made me stop and go well actually there's some truth in this you know i'm still spending money buying things which no one sees and yeah. so we all have a little bit of that and actually i spoke at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago and at the end of my presentation the the host he said to me oh i've just had this realization my son last night got really, really upset with me because I had just bought a bed, like a bed for the, his avatar's face. Yeah. And he said, I totally dismissed him and said, what the hell, you know, what are you doing? Spending money on that. And he got really upset. And he said, I just couldn't understand where this emotion came from. And he said, so I'm going to go home tonight and understand why he wanted his avatar to have a bed and what's the style. He said, I really realized this is his representation of him in this world. And he said, I had given him not a single second of my time to understand it. Yeah. And so I, I, I'd love to kind of call back to him and say, what happened to that conversation? It was just this moment of, gosh, you know, just because it wasn't important to me doesn't mean it's not important to them. And yeah. so we have, to, we have to learn that. And I think that's going to go apply equally for employees about what's important to them. If they're a 20, you know, 22 year old in your company, what's important to them will be very different than what's important to us. And we have to understand those differences. There, one of the uh, probably most important lessons that I learned as an employee for a big company, um, somebody said, you know, ultimately it says you own your career. And that was, you know, kind of going back to on the education side of, uh, you know, do we want to be passive in the education and the learning style? Or do we want to be uh, more, uh, uh, you know, in control of that? And what do we want to get out of this? And, you uh, uh, in helping create both the programs that we follow and then the style of learning that we prefer, what we actually will absorb, how we're using that, the context of what we're learning. Um, but this, this idea that we, we control that, you know, uh, our own career. So we need to recognize sometimes it's the hardest thing for the ID, you know, the id to recognize itself in its own styles, but recognize the things that you're passionate about, that you're good at, and then building a career around those things and, and not just taking the out-of-the-box experience that others will hand to us, but being more you know, creative about that. And sometimes that is, and look, there are some companies that are like, I'm sorry, I need somebody to sit here like an automaton and, and, and punch holes in this fabric. That's the job, sorry. There's no room for creativity around that. And there are others where, there's room for you to say, hey, these are the kinds of projects that I love. Talk to your manager you know, about that. I said, if I could do more of those, I'm passionate. I do my best work around that. And if, if it's possible, you know, can we shape more of this role? Yes, 20% of the time doing these projects that are ugly that nobody else wants either. But yeah, I'll do those if I can focus on this is what I'd like to do with my career and where I'd be happier. And the more that we can have those conversations and be honest with ourselves about what we want to do. I mean, the happier we'll be, the, the longer might stay for six or seven years instead of just five years in mm. that role. But I think that's, that is a lot, has a lot to say about pursuing education, pursuing, you know, that staying engaged uh, and, and, you know, long-term at a job. So much is about that of, of us taking control of that, that process. And I think if you use the analogy of software, you know, you buy a, your new mobile phone, you, you expect it to get better over time. You, you want, you know, it's going to have firmware and hardware, or it's going to have software updates, and then eventually you'll get new hardware, you'll get the latest version. I think we, 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 we're pretty good on the hardware. You know, we, we kind of go, what do we need to do to eat better, to stay fit? You know, we, we think about our, as we get older, we're like, okay, to maintain a, a good, healthy lifestyle, what are the things we need to do? But what's our software update? Like, what are we doing? to actually keep learning and improve ourselves over time. So the person who's punching holes in fabric, you know, I really hope that no human says, well, that's all I'm good for. You know, I hope that everybody goes as an upgrade version. The company should be automating that process. And, you know, there is knowledge available for everyone at every level now. And if we have an internet connection, we can learn. We don't have to pay money, we can learn. As long as we find good, reliable sources of information and we don't end up in some kind of weird conspiracy rabbit hole, you know, we can learn great things. So. 
I think it's just this idea that we, we when we get to finish, we graduate from college or university, that that's the end of it. Actually, that's just the beginning of it. And we really should be thinking about those constant upgrades that we can give ourselves, that means we can get better jobs, that we can do things we love. Nobody should be doing things they don't want to be doing, um, given we've all got the capacity and the brain power to do you know, great things. Yep. Well, Francis, I really appreciate the time today. It's been a great discussion. I know we've We've kind of you know gone meandered. a different direction. Meandered, <laughs> meandered is a great word for that, but uh, you know it's. Uh, I think that's a lot of just the way that the mind works. You know, um, we talked about music and then VR and kind of you know skipped around, but it's. Uh, I, I think it comes down to those those principles. I like that again, focusing on context, not the content, being proactive, not passive in education and. Uh, the underlying thing to everything I always talk about is that be collaborative, ask for feedback, give feedback, be vocal, be humble as you're being, as you're asking for feedback and, and, and really listen to that. It's a great way I found in my life. I learn more when I'm humble, when I'm asking questions, um, when I'm willing to learn and, and understand different perspectives uh, than when I'm not. Um, so but I'm, I'm, you know, it's great meeting you. And for folks that want to find out more about you, about uh, uh, the Mind Lab and, and Tech Futures Lab, what are the best ways to find out more? The good, good old Google. Uh, so Francis Valentine, easy to find. I'm also on LinkedIn, but on that Mind Lab, so .com, techfutureslab.com, uh, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Hopefully, you, uh, you know, you can find me pretty easily. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.